everybody, it's Betsy, and here's what's in the Popping Collars feed for June 2021. There's just two words for this month's Popping Collars, staff picks. Hear what we're recommending from the world of pop culture. We have a special interview with Academy Award nominee Tom Moore this month. He talks to Greg about his animated feature, Wolf Walkers. The Going on 30 mob movie marathon continues this month. Greg and I explore the Martin Scorsese classic, Goodfellas. Finally, The Sacred Six wraps up our deep dive into The Wire. Special guest Eric Matoyer discusses the series finale, simply titled 30. Thanks for listening and keep those collars popped. Hello, this is Chris Arnold, and I was the guest on episode one of Popping Colors. Hello, this is Shana Watson, ordained priest serving at St. James Episcopal Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm John White. I'm the podcast editor at Episcopal Cafe. Hi there. This is Reverend Eric Matoyer from the Episcopal Diocese of California. This is Kyle Goodman, the lead pastor of Alamance Presbyterian Church. Hi, I'm Richard Lindsay, the godfather of Popping Colors. Hello, I am Holly McHale pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oakland. Hi there, this is the Reverend Martin Elford from Grace Memorial Episcopal Church in beautiful Portland, Oregon. And you are listening. And you are listening to. And you are listening to. And you're listening to. You are listening to. And you are listening to. And you're listening to Popping Collars. Popping Collars. Popping Collars. Popping Collars. Popping Collars. Popping Collars. Popping collars, and this is popping collars. Why you tap me, backstab me, break the faith, pull from race, tell me lies, time flies, close your eyes, come with me. Come with me. Welcome to Popping Collars, podcast that lives the intersection of religion and pop culture, faith and pop culture meaning in pop culture, whatever you want. And actually, that's our theme for today. Whatever we want, it's up for us to decide. That's right. Two words, staff picks. Oh, wait. My name is Craig Knight. <laughs> forgot to introduce. It's still one of those We're going to restart. We're going to restart. Oh, that was kind of cute. You should keep it that way. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the intro. My name is Craig Knight. I am the director uh no I'm not. I am the associate for Christian Formation. Yes. At the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. With me are my co-hosts, Ricardo Avila. You're in my top left-hand corner. What are you up to? Hey Greg. Uh I am at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, where I am the rector. Rector means ruler. Rector means boss. Yes. But you know. They sass me all the time, so they keep me in my place. Um, things are going well here. It was 92 degrees today, uh, which is kind of not great. I'm not ready for that yet, but mm. it sure is beautiful. Uh, my big news is that William and I just moved into a condo. Uh, this is the first time I've ever been a homeowner. But I got to tell you, owning in the Bay Area, it is no joke. So it's very exciting. The boxes are about 90% unpacked, and uh, life is good. Lovely. Liz Easton is also with us. Liz, where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Greg. Um, I'm the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. I live in Omaha. 
And um, what's new for me is that we've just started um, sort of reaching back into diocesan travel, which has been really exciting to visit those communities that I've missed seeing in person for the last year, which is awesome. Holding that tension of still being in a pandemic, but opening things up a little bit, which Mm -hmm. is, um, I think like a lot of people, I'm having some trouble stepping into that place, but I'm very grateful to finally be able to. Nice. Uh, and finally, Betsy Carmody is with us. Betsy, how are you? What's going on? Well, I'm here in Alexandria at the Episcopal High School as this, this school year finally comes to a close. Thank the sweet Lord Jesus. Uh, we, I think we're all done with each other at this point. By the time this airs, they'll all be gone. <laughs> We'll be on summer vacation. It'll all be very exciting. Uh, But it has been a long, long year. And we're getting ready to uh, put a big exclamation mark on it with a giant cicada brood that's showing up. So that seems just about right and on time. So uh, they have started to come out. My dog ate a couple of nymphs today. Seemed to get a little hacky about that. Maybe the nymphs weren't happy about being eaten. But I lived through 2004, and I know the apocalypse that is about to set upon us. So we will see what is revealed by the showing up of Brood X. Wow. It really feels like biblical plagues in the last couple of yeah. years, doesn't it? Like, what else? When frogs start falling oh. from the sky? I mean, is that it? Is it frogs? Sure. Hey. Yeah. You know. Blood? I know there's something with blood. Water turns to blood. You guys get regular cicadas, though, right? We do. We get regular cycles of them every year. But this is Brood X that I was living in Northern Virginia in 2004. Our listeners can't see Ricardo's face, which is like... I don't understand. I live in California where there are no bugs. I don't know what's happening. The temperature is wonderful. I'm sitting there thinking 92, that heats that soil up. We just got to get to 64 consistently around here. They're going to be everywhere. Until two years ago, I thought cicadas were trees. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you, Ricardo. Why are they? What's happening? Brood X, like B R O O D X. Is that yes? Like yes, they've been under the ground for seventeen years. Doing what? Um, being kind of like <laughs> inert, and now they're now they're these now they're little nymphs, and now they will come up through the soil, and then they will mature, and then they will lay eggs, fertilize eggs. And then they will die. That's kind of beautiful. They come up and sing and die. And get well, I mean, that's very, that, that put it that way. Yeah. They, they come up, scream like banshees and die. <laughs> like, I don't know if singing is quite. I am not picking cicadas. I'm just going to say. <laughs> oh, man. Welcome to Cicada Talk. This is, uh, <laughs> we're taking the podcast in a new direction now. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, so, yes, aforementioned staff picks, two words, staff picks. That's what we're doing. Before I get started, does anybody just want to volunteer? Because No, I want the bag to do it. <laughs> Trust the bag. B-Force <gasps> for Brood X. Brood X. Oh, gross. I got creative on this pick. I've been watching a lot of British procedurals and those sorts of things. And I found, and I think what put my staff pick over the top was that this person is the narrator for the current audiobook. 
that I've just gotten into, as well as being an accomplished actress and artist, um, actress on stage and screen and movies and all of that. But just one of those faces that you're like, and voices, you're like, oh, I think I've seen her before somewhere. So I'm going to share my screen real quick. Is it Olivia oh. Coleman? I love her. It is not Olivia Coleman. It is maybe lesser known British actress, Vanilla Wolgar is oh, yeah. specific. Oh. So, so Vanilla, who I think I must have first experienced her in Call the Midwife, yeah. where she plays Sister, oh. Sister Hilda. And then I ran across her in, there's a show on, uh, I think it was, it might've been on Masterpiece, but it's also a BBC show called Home Fires that was only on for two seasons. And it's about the residents of a town during World War II, when everybody's kind of gone off to fight, there's a Royal Air Force base that's nearby. And it's really a, a female centric show on kind of the home fires, keeping the home fires burning and what that story looks like for each of these people. She, she was on that. And then I started, I finally gave into this book on my audiobook queue called Life After Life. <gasps> yes. Yes. Ricardo's on it. Yes. And she reads the audiobook and she's amazing. It's a book of, full of so many different characters. She does all of the voices, everybody. And this is a wonderful book that, yeah. um, who's the author I've heard? Kate. Kate Atkinson. Atkinson, yes. yes. Yeah. And so it moves around through time. It's also dealing with kind of that World War II time period, the kind of time before the war and then this. And it's uh, it's such a great book. And, and she does such a lovely job. Other folks who love Doctor Who will know she played Agatha Christie on Doctor Who. Earlier today, Miss Noble and I found this on the lawn, right beneath your bathroom window. You must have heard that Miss Noble was searching the bedroom, so you panicked. You ran upstairs and disposed of the evidence. I've never seen that thing before in my life. What's inside it? The tools of your trade, Miss Redmond. Or should I say, the unicorn. And I just went back and watched a movie I've never seen before, but it has every damn British actor in it and it's called bright young things and it's from 2003 Stephen fry directed and screenplay and if you look up the imdb page it's got everybody even little minor players who are in it for a moment you're like hold on that was the guy from downton abbey or hold on that's the guy from harry potter or hold on <laughs> you know michael sheen yeah i almost didn't recognize him david Tennant, who plays doctor who later like everybody's in it. and she plays Actually, another Agatha, and it's and it's that similar time period. It's that 1930s. These are the bright young things. Like their parents served in World War One. Um, they were children then, but then you know what's coming in that World War Two is around the corner for them. I, I there was something captivating about seeing that movie and thinking about us coming out of COVID and what does all of that mean for us. And watching, you know, and then even in the movie, they're saying, oh, I wish a war would happen for this generation. They're so annoying, like the mm. older, the older people and like the way we're talking about millennials and Gen Z and all of that sort of stuff. But she just has a way that she every character she's in, she just is in it fully. I love her voice. I love her face, the way she acts. 
Like I realized, oh, I've been riding my one of my rider dies through the pandemic <laughs> has been Fenella Wolgar. And I'm like, yes, just just start going through her IMDb. You'll be happy. I'll be happy. It, it was it's it was awesome. It was an awesome hole to fall into. That's cool. You're a fanella. I am a fanella. A fanella. I, I I was hoping I'm like, where are the fanella like devotees? You know, maybe we're starting it now. And it's nice to see those, those like a sort of a, a through line, if you will, a thread makes you feel like there's meaning in the world somehow. I'm uh, making meaning all the time over here. Look, I see it. It was me. It's you. I guess this is a good time to talk about sound of music oh. or sound of metal. Sound of metal. Oh. Not sound of music. Sorry. <laughs> so... You know, the the movies were a little strange this past year. It was a lot of like, you know, there were no every every studio is kind of holding back their big movies that they thought would make like lots of money and stuff. So things like West Side Story and stuff like that, things that were would be award contenders were kind of held back. And what ended up happening was the smaller sort of films were kind of pushed to the front. And one of them was from a first time. Uh, director, Darius Martyr. And it's about a uh, musician, drummer, who loses his hearing. Like, immediately loses his hearing. Like, he goes from 100% hearing to, like, 20% hearing in, like, a day. And he is, uh, he's an addict. He's a recovering addict, a recovering heroin addict. And um, because of this, his girlfriend is afraid that he's going to start to uh, backslide because he can't he can't hear he can't function. And uh, so the rest of the story is that he joins a deaf recovery community, and this deaf community basically teaches him how to live his new life yeah. uh, because his hearing is not going to come back. Now the reason that Sound of Metal is really powerful to me. And the reason that it stood out to me from this past year is um, there's a scene in this movie where um, the main character, Ruben played by Riz Ahmed is having a conversation with basically like a sponsor, the guy who runs the uh, center, the deaf center where he's staying, the recovery center. And he's, he's trying to figure out how to fix himself Ruben is. He's trying to like figure out like how do I fix my hearing? How do I fix my life? How do I fix my relationships? And the task that he's given by the guy that runs the center is, here's what I want you to do. I've got a little uh, assignment for you, okay? You get up early, right? Yeah, pretty early, yeah. I'll have hot coffee waiting for you at 5.30. Early enough for you? I don't know, I guess. Okay, five. And I'll uh, provide a room for you. What for? And there's nothing that needs to be accomplished in this room. All I want you to do is just sit. All I ask is if and when you cannot just sit, you turn yourself to the pen and paper that I'm going to supply for you. And I want you to write. Doesn't matter what you write, how you write, whether it's spelled correctly, or if it's just a big mess. I don't care. No one will read it, okay? 
I want you to keep writing continuously without stopping until you feel like you can sit again. And it's this sense of how do you get to just being instead of doing and fixing and existing and all of this stuff that Ruben's built his life around. And now none of that stuff works anymore. So how does he just be? What's his essential self now? It's one of those movies that if if you're not predisposed to want to look for meaning in things, I think that it's a frustrating watch. But if you are the kinds of folks that are looking for meaning in things like we are, I think on this podcast, it's a really powerful, that's the one movie from last year, maybe not the best movie of last year, but it's the one that constantly sticks with me. And I find myself constantly thinking about. It sounds like spiritual direction, like that advice that he gave him, like that sounds like being on a, a retreat or the retreat director says, I noticed you wake up early in the morning. you know, sit in this room that, uh, yeah, that sounds a lot like sort of the work of the deep work of um, spirituality and discovering your identity as it relates to God, not all of the things we do and who we are in the world. Um, Yeah. So Sound of Metal, it sounds like it's about like some crazy, you know, it's a concert series or something like that, but it it really is a, a a great reflection on just kind of what makes us who we are uh, as spiritual beings. I think so. Yeah. Nice. Hey, Ricardo. Go last. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to a tried and true thing. So follow me, if you will, back to the pre 1900s. That's where I thought we were going. That's where I thought we were at. Big surprise. I got to say, I, I don't think I'm a snob about reading 19th century literature, um, but I think there's value in it that, okay, fine, Betsy, maybe I am. You just like what you like. So you like what you like. It's good. But I do think it's, I do think it's good for you in a way. And I don't mean that in a, oh, it's it's good for you. Just, I think it's good to read literature from another time and a place, even with the, with the lens that we have now to make yourself stretch in terms of what other people experienced. And, you know, we can do that with things like race and other countries and other experiences with contemporary fiction, but in a way we're still steeped in the, 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 the concerns of our time. And when you go back and you realize that, you know, eloping with someone is a scandal that affects the entire family and for generations and all that, and you think it's ridiculous, but when you read it in the context of the, these novels, you realize, you know, there were so many different things going on, including the fact that women, I mean, it's so, it's on every page how women did not have agency. So my pick is, uh, it was also a pick in a book club episode a couple of years back. Uh, it's David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Charles Boom. Dickens. Boom. I would, um, whatever the equivalent of a mic drop is from 1849, <laughs> consider it done. My staff pick is David Copperfield, and I'll tell you why. It starts with the opening line. Whether I turn out to be the hero of my own story, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these moments must show. My boyhood days seem now like a scarcely believable fiction. London is full of wonders and wickedness. And it's ours, David, to go wherever we choose. Well, I'm not down there. Predators make that road impossible. Two tailors and a most unreasonable muffin man. Copperfield! Your mama is ill. 
How old is she? Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Dangerously ill. She's dead. We're very sorry. And I think it's a great, it's a great opening to a novel that's basically about the life of someone growing up, having adventures, learning how to be in the world. He's an orphan, of course. It's Dickens. He doesn't start out an orphan, but he becomes an orphan pretty early on. And what's going to happen to him? And I, this is my third time through this novel. And what I love about it, you know, I can see why people don't like Dickens. Some of his characters are so broad. You know, this one's evil. This one's, you know, a dork. This one's too good to be true. But there's enough nuance in any in every character that you can see why they behave the way they do or why the people around them are affected the way they are. And I think that's sort of the broadness of his writing helps us relate in a weird way. It's not so specific that we can't understand because it's from another time and place. I, I, I love his characterizations for as over the top as they can be because I think deep down they're, they're more like archetypes and you really learn something about yourself. The real thing that matters is the goodness in people. And I'm going to tell you the answer to that first line. Here's a, this is a spoiler alert. I believe David Copperfield does become the hero of his own life. And it doesn't seem that way in the novel because he's kind of a, in some ways, a passive character throughout. And all these other characters are doing intense things all around him. But because he maintains his goodness throughout, despite all the stuff that happens to him or around him, I think he inspires the people around him to be good. So I say David Copperfield. I say listen to it on audiobook if you think it's going to be too long on a book. Betsy's yawning now, so it's time for me to stop. No, 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 don't ignore. <laughs> was um was David Copperfield um serialized at first? Yeah, most of his novels were. They came out in installments. Um, so it's re- that's really pop culture, you know, for the time that folks. Culture. It was like the the binge reading, you know. Oh, have you seen the latest installment of David Copperfield? Or yeah, whatever. People, people yeah. ran to the newsstand to get the copy when they knew it was coming out. As I think I mentioned in a previous podcast, um, Old Curiosity Shop, there was a cliffhanger as to whether Little Nell was going to die. And when the ships were coming into Boston Harbor or somewhere with the next installment, people were lined up on the docks yelling, Is Little Nell dead? Is she dead? It's and like who shot JR? Yeah. Better. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Who shot Little Nell? Yeah. But like I what I've liked about this looking back, Ricardo, and at least I'm experiencing, I guess, modern storytelling about the past with this kind of focus that and the things I've been consuming lately of kind of the 1920s through the through World War One, World War Two. Um, what do you feel like you've learned? What echoes of the pandemic do you see? Well, I mean, I think the thing that I latch on to um with David Copperfield and maybe it is because of the pandemic, is how much people are there for each other in times Mm -hmm. of crisis. Despite, like, they're the bad guys, and the bad guys are kind of winning most of the time and wreaking havoc. But in the midst of all of that trauma, Agnes shows up to encourage David at points in his life to kind of save him. And Mr. Peggotty is out searching for his niece who is lost because she's run away with someone and her name is tarnished because he loves her. So that sort of 
that sort of, you know, reaching out and grasping onto people you love and care about those connections. I, I've, I think I've said before, in some ways, our parish has grown closer online mm. because they have the distance of Zoom or Facebook Live and can share a little more deeply. In person, they're a little more, you know, personad. Mm. And the pandemic and virtual living as I think revealed vulnerabilities and strengthened friendships, weirdly enough, maybe because of adversity as well. Okay. That's my staff pick. Nice. Liz, we have finally arrived. The fourth and final staff pick. Um, You know, the last time that we did this was during the pandemic, I think. And I think I referenced the sweater that I was wearing every day of the pandemic, which I want our listeners to know. I'm wearing right now. She didn't burn it. She said she was going to yeah, burn it. I said I would burn it when the pandemic was over. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Another um, pandemic addition is this incredible amount of hair that I'm just carrying around with me so all the time. Hair. My COVID hair. It's so much hair. And you guys, listeners, you can't see it, but it's a lot. I'm just telling you. It's a lot. <laughs> So I will, no surprise, be giving as my staff pick a book. And you all know, I think, that I'm a big reader of fiction. The book that I have to recommend is actually a nonfiction book, which some of you may have read. It came out a few years ago, but it's called Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland. Ricardo's read it by Patrick Red and Keefe. That was your pick? Yeah, it was it was a book club pick uh, last year. Oh, oh no! Okay, I didn't say that much about it. Talk about okay. it. I'm well, I want to spend in my of- cart in Amazon to give to my father. Oh man, it's so it's really good. So here's a little backstory for me: is that my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, emigrated from Northern Ireland to Washington State in during World War II before the war had ended actually. And so my mom grew up with all of her, um, you know, aunts and cousins and grandparents living in and around Belfast. So that was sort of like our um, maternal home in a way. And we were sort of always tracking what life was like there. This book is about the conflict between the conflict sort of for liberation of Ireland, I guess would be one way to say it, but also the conflict between paramilitary groups that were um, the IRA, the Irish Republican Army that wanted to unify an independent Ireland, and then also the loyalist paramilitary groups that wanted, that maintained an identity with um, England. And it begins by sort of telling the story of a woman, a mother, who was taken from her home in the night and sort of disappeared. It was considered one of the greatest atrocities of that conflict called the Troubles, but was never really solved. So even though everybody knew that the IRA did it, the IRA never claimed it and no individuals did, but it was a real um, a real atrocity taking a mother away from a lot of children. She was a widow. There was a peace accord in the late 90s there were often um, truth and reconciliation commissions when conflicts came to an end, that one of the ways for places to move forward was to have a truth and reconciliation commission, probably most famously in um, South Africa, but they also did it in Rwanda. They've done it elsewhere. But Northern Ireland and Ireland never did that. 
And so sort of a, a compromise or a sort of a creative solution to that idea was that a number of scholars from Boston College created this project where they would record oral histories from paramilitary leaders on both sides of the conflict. And the agreement was that they would not release the transcript of their testimony until after they had died. So what's happened in the last few years is that these folks have died and then their testimony is released after their death. And then these big revelations are made. And one of the revelations had to do with um, who ultimately was responsible for the death of this woman. So the book sort of tells that story, but it also really dives deeply in this really personal way into um, sectarian conflict, which, you know, is as old as anything in the world. When we become so radicalized that we actually kind of lose sight of the purity of our ideals. And it's just a really interesting exploration of sort of what happens when we, when we put such stock in our ideals that we end up compromising our morals. Part of the book tells the story of these two sisters, Marion and Dolores Price, and they both go to prison for um, setting car bombs that had no fatalities, but they were really devastating car bombs in London. They went to jail. They were part of the hunger strikes and everything. They were released from prison. It mainly tells the story of Dolores Price, who goes on to, she's always a Republican, but she does um, grow disenchanted with the IRA. Dolores had one very Catholic aunt on her father's side who would say, for God and Ireland, for the rest of the family, Ireland came first. Growing up in West Belfast in the 1950s, she dutifully went to church every day, but she noticed that her parents didn't. One day, when she was about 14, she announced, I'm not going back to Mass. You have to go, her mother Chrissy said. I don't and I'm not going, Dolores said. You have to go, Chrissy repeated. Look, Dolores said, I'll go out the door. I'll stand at the corner for half an hour and say to you, I've been to Mass, but I won't have been to Mass. She was headstrong even as a child. So that was the end of that. Well, fast forward until like 2002 or something when these women are in their late 60s, probably. The kind of conflict begins to reemerge with the IRA, a group of very young IRA members, like in their twenties, uh, pull up and gun down two British military officers who are picking up a pizza. And it turns out that the phone call to pick up the pizza or something was placed on a burner phone. And, you know, in, in Great Britain, they have, um, CC TV, CCTV, baby. I've watched oh, enough British procedurals. Okay. Yes. Okay, it's so always tra- film. <laughs> exactly. So they tracked down the CCTV footage of the person buying the burner phone for these 20-year-old IRA thugs. And in the footage at the convenience store, this person picks up the phone. She's wearing a hood. She picks up the phone and then she turns and looks at the camera. And it's Marion Price, who is in her late 60s. She never left the cause. It's this chilling moment in the book where you realize like this type of radicalization can grab hold of you and never let you go. Anyway, that's my staff pick. Wow. Wow. Same. Real cheery. I'm glad we I know. went for that one. Sorry. 
Yeah. It's good. I remember you all talking about this book. So it makes me I don't remember us talking about it. So I'm sorry. I kind of I have like- a memory of this book. Like I I really want I need to just get it. Um, I rewatched Dairy Girls after mm-hmm. reading this. Have you has any of you watched Dairy Girls? Yes. Oh my so good. It's amazing. BBC kind of I don't want to say sitcom, but like short. It's kind of a sitcom. It's a sitcom. Yeah. Set in um, Derry or London Derry, depending on your political persuasion, in the early 90s. And it made so much more sense to me after reading the book. Like, like Jerry Adams, when he was on TV, they had to use a voiceover actor to say what he was saying. So like his image was like a video of him was on television, but they had to use a voiceover actor saying his words because the BBC had agreed that they would not um, elevate a terrorist to having voice culturally. So they used a voiceover actor to say his words. And then, of course, he was elected to parliament. You know, you talked about radicalization, Liz. I think that that's really sort of the scary thing is that you're willing to sign up to be a perpetrator and a victim. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're signing up, like you're signing your life away, which is, uh, which for us, for people who work in this world where we're trying to liberate, free people from these, from these dogmas, right? It's, well, and that's what's know, so amazing is that it's relig, you know, it's, it's allegedly a conflict along religious lines. It's right, not, right. of course, there's a religious aspect to it, but when you think of like, the work that um, the church in both the Protestant and Catholic church have done to sort of tell, like help people understand that this is not the way, you know, that we have this other story to tell. There are equally clergy people and churches who are um, helping with this. And I mean, even priests who would come in to hear the confession of people right before they were executed or to say their last rites, yeah, it was a great episode of uh, Victoria, the, the dramatized uh, story of Queen Victoria when Ireland comes into the picture politically and just how people were starving there. And it follows like a priest there trying to do what he thinks he should be doing and helping the people and how there are all these systems in place. I mean, it's, you know, it's systematized just kind of pillaging of a country. Mm-hmm. The, the Irish potato famine? Mm-hmm. Yes. 1845, 50. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, I don't, I don't know the details, but I know that I can say this with, with honesty, what the British allowed to happen right next door to them with hundreds of thousands of people dying of starvation while they were doing pretty fine is pretty, is, it's unconscionable. So it's it's shocking. And that, you know, takes us back to Dickens in time. Yes, Dickens! It all comes back to Dickens. Of course it does. All right, that's it. We yep. did it. Good job, we everybody. We gave, listen to this. Listen to this podcast. We gave you uh, an actor to follow. We gave you a movie to watch. We gave you two books to read. I mean, that's what Staff Picks is for. Homework right. list set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do your work. Uh, you can find Popping Collars on the web at poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can find our podcast wherever you're listening to it right now. Uh, and also, our podcast is featured each month on episcopalcafe.com. You can uh, 
what do I say? We love Episcopal <laughs> Cafe. <laughs> it's like, that in. we love Episcopal Cafe. And you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news needs and beyond. And with that, that's Popping College for this time. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Betsy, for all of your ingenious staff. And in the meantime, keep those colors pop. We did it. Thanks. We did it. Good job, everybody. Good job, everybody.